Welcome to the RSP cast. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to Lori Fitzpatrick, TD Wire. Always a pleasure to be able to get a chance to talk football with you, Lori. And today we're going to get to to chop it up with a subject near and dear to us, which is running backs who are unrestricted free agents on the market at the end of the season and where we think they might go or where we'd like to see them go. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, being an ex-running back myself, running back, cornerback, um, I love talking this subject. I love uh, kind of discussing, um, you know, where this position is always going. Uh, you know, I think that they're a little more valuable than what the league, you know, is always saying how, you know, any of these guys can uh, run behind the type of line that they have in front of them. Um, but I do truly value vision and effort, especially in the red zone. And I think uh, a lot of these backs, uh, you know, resemble that specifically. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to kind of just dive into it, uh, see which guys fit uh, and kind of discuss, you know, these, these uh, free agents that are, uh, you know, the, some of these guys that will be free agents in this upcoming season. So, yeah, thanks for having me, man. Oh, of course, always, you know. So, and it's funny because one that... One of the things that you described that's always fun is, um, you know, is a player who's been a lot of fun to watch this year and has always been kind of fun to watch in his career, and uh, and an alum of an alum of um, my YouTube channel um, as, as a guest is Jamal Williams. If the Lions don't resign Jamal Williams, um, you know, I'm curious about. Who would be some good low-range, mid-range replacement options in terms of what we would expect cost-wise? Neither of us are, you know, big on the financial end of where this is going to go. We're just thinking from a broad, you know, kind of broad strokes about guys just based on what their what their production is like and what their rep is in the league. Who are some guys who might be in that mid to low range of cost? who would give a lot of what Williams provides as a counterpoint to DeAndre Swift. Presuming that the Lions say, you know what, we know what DeAndre Swift is, and we don't think that's an every down feature back. Which I think is blasphemy, to be honest. I, I really hope that they, you know, that they bring him back. Um, you know, he's just, his effort is unmatched like his red zone production in general but if we were to look at other guys that um you know could replace him i think damian harris could be you know a guy that could uh you know take his place he's he is a he does run in a similar scheme in the gap style scheme of uh, new england um you know he you know he can run through between the tackles but he likes to bounce it out too and you know same as jamal williams um you know, he would be more cost effective. And, and it's funny because I remember hearing a lot of people say, oh, yeah, um, DeAndre Swift, he's going to be the number one back in the league this year. And like that just like gave so much fuel to like Jamal Williams to be like, yeah, I'm going to go off and make you guys a year worth. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, if they do not sign him, maybe Damian Harris would be a good um, a good scheme fit. I think, you know, for sure. He can also catch out of the backfield. Um, he, uh, Jamal Williams, man, he just, I think, 
I think by far he has the most touchdowns um, within the red zone when being hit at the line of scrimmage. Uh, so he just really keeps going. Um, and uh, also, if like not looking at the cost side and maybe if they want to go all out, um, like Josh Jacobs obviously could be a guy he would be obviously expensive because he leads the league right now in rushing. Um, but just like the red zone production in general would be a replacement. Yeah, I think I, I love both of those options. And, and I think that uh, I agree with you that this team in terms of the mentality that it has, the type of leadership that they're looking for, um, from that perspective, it would be great to see them re-sign Jamal Williams. And I could see Jamal Williams being the type of back that probably might not, while he'd like to get paid, I don't think he would. he's going to lose his mind about exactly how much he's getting. I don't think he's going to look at this game. I think he's going to look at it from a fairly realistic perspective where maybe they will be able to work something out. But in case the Lions are just like, we think we can get similar production at a cheaper rate. You know, I think of, I think of Alexander Madison as another option too, where they know the back in their division. Um, he he has that. He's not a speedster, very much like Williams. He's not especially fast, but he's got the acceleration to get the corner like Williams if they need him to do that. He can catch. He's a shifty runner who can run both gap and zone. Um, you know, so he's someone they've seen a lot who maybe they feel like they could get in a mid-range price. If if the Dolphins don't find a, a way to be able to re-sign Jeff Wilson, he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, he's another one that might be able to fit within that range, though. I think Madison, I, I think the, Je the Dolphins are probably going to, you know, probably try and keep Wilson or re-sign Wilson after acquiring him for this one year. Um and then and and then I would say the surprise one would be you know if the if the Cowboys didn't re-sign Zeke at a much lower um, cost and Zeke's on the open market and you know maybe they they decide you know we could have a nice compliment here who could provide a good red zone game who has you know has lead back experience can do a little bit of everything for us. Um, and if he would come at a cheaper rate, just from the standpoint of that, a lot of I think the I think there's going to be a perception that Zeke is would be overpriced, and maybe teams aren't going to go after him. And as the season, as free agency gets a little bit later and later, that his agent kind of either comes down on his price or his asking price isn't as much as people think. And maybe he feels like he has something to prove um, from the from the perception that maybe that the league is is going to take with him, which is that he wasn't the best back in Dallas, that he's no longer the guy that people think he is, and that you know, and that a guy like Dan Campbell would say, "Look, if we could get we get Zeke even at the perception that he's at right now in terms of value that could be a huge value for us and they might take a bet on something like that yeah i mean if if jerry jones is willing to part ways with him which it seems like he uh you know he really likes zeke i think he 
he really likes his guys, you know, and Zeke is definitely one of those guys. Um, yeah, that that's tough. Um, I, I think he would look good in that, um, you know, that like light blue, uh, compared to the, compared to the dark blue. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Cowboys have to make a choice because, um, I am not sure if, if Zeke, you know, will take lower. Um, I think that they're, him and Pollard are, are really good, like, they work hand in hand. So I feel like Zeke is going to say, well, I have my value um, and I have my skill set that you will be able to use. So, you know, he may not want to go down, you know, with his price, uh, which then he he would be, you know, the lead back. But it's just like, how many years are you going to do this? You know, like he I I would hope that he would stay in Dallas uh, and that he just takes less money. Um, I think that would be the best bet uh, for for the Cowboys and Zeke. I would I would agree with that. So do you think they the Cowboys resign the whole the whole backfield that they had um or do they choose Zeke at that point? Well, I mean, if they if they had to choose one, I think they should choose Pollard. Sure. Um, you know, there's there's 15 running backs right now that have 1000 yards and he's 15th on the list. Yeah. Um, I do think they need a better back like I think that it would be it would be, it would be like ideal if they just got rid of them both and then signed like got a top tier, like one of those like top five backs that are. Um, I mean, you can't really go with Saquon Barkley just because of his history um, of being injured. But I mean, I don't know if they would go for Miles Sanders just because he's in Philly. But if they were to look at a guy like Josh Jacobs, um, I don't even know who's that third back in on the Cowboys. Uh, but Rico you know, Dowdle, if they resign Rico <laughs> Dowdle, he's an interesting back. But anyway, go ahead. No, no, no. I think like you know, if th- they're a really, really good team, right? But it just always seems like they're just not good enough. And when you look at both of the backs right now, it's like Pollard is good, but it's like he's fifteenth, and it's like if, if you want to be. Like the top, you don't. They don't have anybody on the roster except for Parsons, who's like a top five player. So, uh, well, outside of their offensive line, um, but it's just like you know they need a a better um, running back in there that's maybe like top five. I think they should, if if they were to just scratch both and go after a high level uh, back, I I wouldn't be you know angry at that. Yeah, I could see that. I I think that. I, I think the Josh Jacobs pick would be awesome there. I think another one that would fit um, and could be a lead guy if they just go with one one of the two and still feel good about that. I still think Kareem Hunt would be an excellent fit anywhere um, in terms of what he does. And if they feel like that they are in a window where for the next one to two years they can get the most out of the guy, he would be good. I could see them going with a guy like Harris just from the standpoint that they can mix and match him with Pollard and feel like that they've got a back who's who's capable of doing that and hope that they can go with the, a little bit on the the mid-range cost, you, you know, with it. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you. I mean, you know, do you... But I, I'm curious. Do you think Miles Sanders has played well enough that he's not a product of that Eagles line to the extent that maybe the perception is because I know earlier in his career he was that guy that 
always bounced things outside more than he needed to. He was he leaned so much on his speed, um, and and it seems like in the past year, year and a half, he has really been better at making decisions. He's been wiser at the point of attack. Um, you know, obviously the Eagles have a have a terrific offensive line and scheme and great surrounding talent to to make it a running back's dream to work at. But do you think he's going to be, the, you know, I was going to say better or worse, but really, do you think he'd be that much worse not being an Eagle just from the standpoint of, of how good that offensive line is? Or do you think that his abilities are good enough to hold up that at the end of the day you're like, yeah, I don't think there's too many places he could go where you're going to go back and unless you're just a, a casual fan, you would say, yeah, he was he was way worse, you know, leaving Philadelphia. I think, I think he. W- it's funny because uh, whenever players leave Philly, it seems like they might you know do better. Um, but I don't think Miles Sanders is one of them, honestly. Um, I think you know he had an incredible uh, bounce back season after 2021. I don't think he got you know a touchdown until what like you know like week 12 or something like that. Uh, he went like the almost the entire season without getting a single touchdown. Um, you know, now when you look at him uh, this season, obviously he has a lot more. Um, I think he, I think he had a, or no, he didn't get a single rushing touchdown last year, and now he has eleven. Um, so, you know, I think that it 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 does have a lot to do with the offensive line. Um, I don't think that they're going to bring him back. And it's funny that you mentioned Kareem Hunt in the last point because I think that's a guy that they could bring in for the Eagles this year. And they were actually talking about bringing him in. Howie Roseman, I think, where there was a rumor or something that um, that they were tr- trying to potentially get him before the deadline. Um, unfortunately, obviously, that didn't work out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if they bring Miles Sanders back. I think that he is uh, – Listen, he's good, but he's not making a ton of plays. Like, he's not getting, like, a lot of yards over, you know, expected. Um, I think they could go out and get another guy, and he would provide similar production. Um, You know, a guy like Kareem Hunt or even, like, David Montgomery. Um, I think he would be a really good option, too. I uh, I have him on the list because he doesn't have a lot of mileage on him right now. Yeah. He he really got put in the back burner. He only has seventy seven carries. It's kind of like a like a, a Jordan Howard uh, with a little more speed. He was a top one hundred back or one hundred player in two thousand twenty one. Um, you know he has a low p- pad level. I don't know. I just I like David Montgomery. I think he would be a good addition uh, to the Eagles uh, backfield for sure. Hey, listen, I'm a David Montgomery fan too. I know a lot of people bang on him because they he doesn't have great speed and. You know, but he's a determined runner. He has terrific cuts. Um, he's a he's a hard cutting back. He may not be the most efficient style of back, but he's a lot of fun to watch. He can get a lot of yards. He catches reasonably well. I, I think he's an all around good football player. And with the, what the Eagles do, I mean, they still have Kenneth Gainwell. They um, Boston Scott will probably yeah. be on the market, but they also have an intriguing guy at least from my own standpoint is Trey Sermon who I thought was the I thought he was the one of the top backs in his class um who just didn't fit well in San Francisco so I'm interested in seeing 
who they choose in free agency because I think that will tell us a lot about, well, whether they're going to draft a back. But I think once, once, once we're in early May, if we're in early May and the, and the Eagles didn't draft a back before, say, the fifth round, and they didn't acquire a top free agent, I think Trey Sermon will then be, that's a, that would be a signal that they think a lot of either Trey Sermon or Kenneth Gainwell. Um, and I don't think it's going to be Gainwell just from the standpoint that Gainwell was a very skilled back at Memphis. But this was a back who, after his freshman year, weighed you know, around 185, 190. And the thought was, at least from a draft Knicks perspective, that maybe during the COVID year that he was going to be able to kind of train on his own, gain a little more man weight as you start, as he started to age. <laughs> and maybe he'd be in that 25, 205, 210, 215 range, that kind of sweet spot where you'd say you could be a lead back between the tackles and hold up for a, a, num a high number of touches. But he's still, you know, he still entered the league at 195. And what we're looking at is still a 195 pound back. So I thought, you know, at best, maybe if he added, was able to add that muscle and gain a little more explosion that comes with that muscle gain that you often see, that he might be able to, with the savvy that he had as a runner, that he could develop into a Tiki Barber type running back who was kind of a late bloomer as well when he entered the league out of Virginia and had to gain some weight, learn how to curb the, the ball security woes that he had, and then he became that really terrific all-around player in mid to late career. I just haven't, we haven't seen that physical gain from Gainwell. And so to me, I think their best chance with the existing back on the roster if they didn't go with anybody else would be Sermon. So to me, if backs that might that that might signal that they're interested in Sermon and seeing what he's about and having like a player who they could hedge with if it's if he don't have it. You know, to me a guy like, you know, Devin Singletary would be an option where they say, We know what we can get from him. He's not a, a top name. He's a guy who can get yards for us behind that line. Maybe get he'll get what's gained, maybe a little more with his effort, but he's not a high-end athlete. Dearness Johnson, maybe if they did a one-year deal with him, they might feel like he can catch, he can do it all. He looked good in Cleveland. He ran behind a good line. We know that he could fit for what we do to, to a certain extent, and, we, and we're giving him an opportunity where he can have a tryout with a guy like Sermon and whoever the best back is we're not overpaying and we still have good depth. You know, that's, that would be the low cost option. If they're like, we don't want to get a guy like hunt who maybe they signed to a, a decent amount of money, but a shorter deal and, and still hope that they can get something from the back end of their depth chart. Um, from that perspective though, I would love to see hunt there. I'm with you. Like hunt there would tell, would be saying we're going all in. And we feel like we're ready now and we're getting the best player we can get. And that's the type of GM that Howie is too. Um, you know, he's 
he he's willing to go get uh, the best of the best. Um, but on the running back side, it, it doesn't seem like he's ever really taken that, you know, that, uh, that chance. I mean, I, I would like Singletary there, to be honest. Um, I think he would definitely be a good fit. Um, yeah, but Montgomery and Hunt, uh, would, you know, be, uh, be my guys that I think that they would potentially target or at least there's like the biggest the biggest chance of getting those two guys yeah yeah I could totally see that you know um I still a guy who just keeps coming to mind for me for a lot of these places and you know Damian Harris is certainly one of them you brought him up and I, and I think that he's such an a a well-balanced runner you know he's you know he's not unbelievably exciting but he does everything well he mm-hmm. and he and madison and jeff wilson to me are guys that are not on the you know they're not at the top of the list but they're names that you know anyone who watches the game with the depth that we do can look at that and go that's a good that's a good pick even if it's not wasn't my first pick or first choice for that team like I understand why they'd sign one of those guys. So, but Wilson to me seems like it would be a possibility where you look at Mike McDaniel's and he's thinking we've got other fish to fry. We want to we want to build our defense out a little bit more. We want to address our offensive line. I come from a you know, I come from an organization in San Francisco where in the past we didn't get top running backs. We pick guys in the mid rounds late rounds and we just kind of saw who might be the best fit based on physical physicality or guys who who had skills in our wide zone scheme so do you think the dolphins just decide based on where we're at let's go one more time with mostert and wilson go to the well with those guys re-sign both of them or one of them and who do you think has the greater chance of staying if you're not going to resign both? I would say uh, Mostert probably. They're probably going to keep him. Um, I do like how they they really gave Jeff Wilson a chance like early on um, when they first got him. They're like, all right, let's share let's share uh, you know um, snaps with uh, with Mostert. See who kind of has the hotter hand, like you know. And I think Mostert definitely like won that but I really like Jeff Wilson I really like him a lot I like you know his long like his long legs he's a high runner but he's straight line like as soon as he gets the ball as soon as he they hand it off to him he gets north and south faster than you know a lot of the guys in the league so I think if they're if I wouldn't say like that he could be like the short distance guy but um definitely someone who uh maybe if they're if the offensive line is maybe in like a wider zone, he could definitely get through the you know the A and B gaps a lot quicker um, than than some other guys. So he would be more of a scheme fit than anything else. Um, and so you know they'll probably keep Mostert, but you know I would keep my eye on uh, Jeff Wilson wherever he goes because I think he's he's definitely going to be uh, fun to watch. Without a doubt, and one of the things that he was always known for at North Texas. When, when studying him was that he was an excellent receiver out of the backfield very good outlet option he could he he found open zones well he never had a real issue catching the ball but i'm with you about mostert mostert really showed off 
the the big play ability at the end of the season it was almost as if you know when i think of um you know film and data co-host um adam harstead who i who who we have on you know every week here um on this podcast he talks about the idea of regression to the mean in the sense that if you you know in fantasy football when you look for players who you know who are playing well overall there's not any major issues with injury or you know schematic deficiencies or anything like that and they're not doing something that you would expect them to do that there that time is coming and i think with raheem mostert you could see all year that he was healthy that he was performing reasonably well but the long runs just weren't there for him you know for the first half first two-thirds of the season and then we started to see him break some big plays. And I think that there was a little bit of that going on with him where the, there was a little bit of a regression to the mean where his time, he was a little bit due and that time came towards the end of the year. And I think they're seeing that value that came with him. So yeah, he and, you know, Mostert, Wilson, I like the idea of them, them staying in town. If not, I, I agree with you. They probably do keep Mostert and then they could go with maybe a back who can be you know, like many of the ones we're looking at here, I think Dearness Johnson would be another nice fit there, just from a lower cost perspective. He can catch too. He can give you a little bit of what Jeff Wilson does. The Browns kept him because the idea was we're going to trade, or at least we thought they're going to trade for trade Kareem Hunt away, and they needed a guy mm-hmm. to back him up. And then they drafted Jerome Ford, who performed really well on kickoff duty. Um, this year and started to get some looks in the backfield and I think it is going to be a Chubb Ford situation even though maybe they've resigned Johnson now at this point to have three good you know quality backs on the roster where they've got the established pro pro bowl caliber talent they have the guy who can give them that high level value off the bench and maybe use him as an off the bench player in every game and then Ford they continue to let develop until maybe, you know, they resign and whoever they resign in that midterm role like Johnson, maybe it's for a shorter term deal, so that they can have one more year to let Ford really kinda get into the rotation. And then they still get maybe a couple years out of Ford, you know, as that contributor or maybe even starter, depending on what they decide to do with Chubb in a year or two. So, what about? Yeah, and, um, just one one more thing, Raheem Mostert. I just I just saw that he's uh he's he is the fifth most yards uh, after contact uh, in the NFL. And I was like, not that I was like super shocked about that, but you know, there's Derrick Henry, uh, um, Stevenson from uh, from New England, Tony Pollard, and then there's Mostert. So. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. That is an interesting thing. And and I think a lot of speed, it is interesting too, that I think a lot of speed backs oftentimes earn that, um, earn, do pretty high on the way that people grade yards after contact, mainly because one of the, you know, it's a, there's, there's quality to that stat for two reasons. And one of them, it's not intentional, I think, because the stat does lend itself and it has a bit of a watcher's bias to it based on speed. Because you can, I've, I've often made the argument that you could, you look at the Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb 
evaluations pre-draft is a good example. People, you know, you could slap Saquon Barkley's a, a terrific back. Don't get me wrong, but you know, you slap his thigh pad and he goes seventy yards, and that's yards after contact. You know, whereas with Nick Chubb, <laughs> while he certainly can run, give you a seventy-yard gain. Oftentimes, he earned yards after the contact from a defensive tackle putting a shoulder into his thigh pad, him bouncing off yeah. and getting four or five yards. Which one's yeah. the, the higher quality yard after and, contact? And the guys that like press the line and like like you said, like they get touched and then bounce it out, and that's after contact. And it's like they created that contact initially. Like it wasn't even like yeah. you know, like a you know, they beat a, an, a free rusher or. You know, they they beat a guy that uh that came, that beat the his offensive lineman off the line. Like no, like he pressed the line, got hit, created that contact, and then happened to bounce it out. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. They uh, I mean, they do need to separate a lot of these um a lot of these stats, uh, or at least define them a little bit more. Like when you hover your mouse over it, tell me exactly what you're defining that stat yeah. as, please. And as a result, you end up with kind of two different types of backs on this list is the true yards after contact getters and the big play artists. And sometimes they're both they're both a player is both of those things. Like a Nick Chubb is both of those things. I think a Saquon Barkley is probably still capable of both of those things, but he's more often the big play boom bust guy in terms of his running style. You see that in terms of his yardage gained a lot of times purely from a rushing standpoint. Um, and his decision-making can be a little more boom-bust. So, but then, you know, you look at a guy like Pollard. You know, Pollard's a big play guy. Now, it doesn't mean that he's a boom-bust guy, but certainly, you know, there's a reason why they wanted to tandem him with Zeke, you know, from the standpoint of, at least early on in their career, Zeke was more the 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 stacked box early down or short yardage guy whereas with Pollard was more of the guy that they ran draws and screens and toss and and put trying to get him into space and simulate plays like that last year was different but you know I think he they were able to integrate him more into things that Zeke did and he did well with that but um but yeah it's fascinating how that goes so let's let's talk about some we've talked a lot about these mid-range guys but you know out of the six that we've kind of touched upon alexander madison wilson jamal williams damian harris the Ernest johnson and devin singletary who do you think has the best shot of finding another home as a starter um, if they're not resigned by their team like they could be the lead back and then they have themselves a Gainwell type or a, you know, um, or a Kareem Hunt to Nick Chubb last year where Hunt wasn't used quite as much. You know, it was, you know, who who gets that, who of those backs has the best shot to get that top billing, even if it realistically doesn't happen? Who's the one that you would look at and go, it doesn't surprise me as much that he winds up in that situation? Uh definitely Jamal Williams I think he would be you know the top back in this uh in this list um like I said earlier though I really you know I do like Jeff Wilson a lot um you know I like the type of runner that he is um 
uh, I think uh, Ernest, uh, you know, he, he's, I think him, Harris, and Singletary are kind of in, I mean, Harris would probably be the, on the lower end of those guys, but, um, but yeah, I would say, I would say Jamal Williams definitely uh, would be the top guy in this situation. Uh, Singletary and Wilson, uh, then Dearness, uh, Madison, then Harris. <laughs> Interesting. It's funny, and we're 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 totally different on that end. Like I love Williams, and I think that he could definitely. I think he's higher on that list for sure. But I have Madison and Harris a little bit higher on that list for me. Um, like I'm a. I think Harris would be the guy I would probably choose. Um, and mainly oh, really? because, okay. yeah, but, I, but that's, that's, what's fun about this is, you know, I mean, we're not always going to have the, we're, we're going to have different opinions on some of these things. And like, for me, Harris is, he's not particularly fast, but I think he's, he's very quick. I think he, he's a good runner, but he was a good zone runner at Alabama. He got to run a lot of gap at gap type of plays in New England, but New England has a kind of a combination of you know with the way the mm -hmm. they run a little bit of everything but their their yeah. offensive line sucked it at running zone like early in the season they said we're going to go to a wide zone approach and everybody's like what are you doing and they finally figured it out within about three or four games and we're like yeah this was this was a bad idea yeah you know this was our <laughs> this was as, as bad of an idea as us using the the coaching staff we did to be our offensive minds, um, you know, that we used and, and let's go back to what we did, did reasonably well. And the running game kind of took off from there. And I think a lot of that had to do with the linemen, not the backs. I think both Stevenson and Harris can run, run those schemes, but they're block. you know, you don't just take, there's not a lot of offensive lines that you just say, you know what? That's going to make them a wide zone team when we weren't a wide zone, an outside zone team. That, that exactly. that's, you know, and so, so I think that's what happened there. So I'm kind of a Madison to me, I think, you know, Madison and Williams are similar backs to me in the sense, but I would say that Williams is a more rugged back. Whereas, whereas Madison's yeah. a little, a little more finesse. Whereas, yes, definitely. Yeah, and Harris, I'm a little bit more on the end of. I think he can do a little bit of everything. He doesn't have great speed, but I think he's a little more explosive than Williams. Um, and he, and and I think that he's just. Um, I think that they like Stevenson so much that I think Harris became expendable. Um, so so I don't yeah. know, but yeah. I think they're they're a little like on the on the similar side of each other so that's why it's kind of like okay well let's choose yeah. um but in, in terms of that list i think i think madison is he's an everything guy in my opinion yes just because of his burst like how he can kind of get right through the line um you know he's a good block he's a good blocker uh he's a good um he, he can catch out of the backfield too when cook was injured um you know he was he was outstanding he two out of his four starts he got uh in 2021 he got over 100 yards uh, i think he had two uh back-to-back 100 -back yard um games oh no that that was actually josh jacobs that i kind of have that mixed up there but no madison i think is an everything guy um i think it was it was between uh him and jamal uh williams for me just like kind of doing everything guy 
yeah. uh, type of back. Um, obviously, you know, my, I have this like, for some reason, this love for Jeff Wilson. Um, but yeah, I think Madison, I don't know, you're kind of selling me on him too. But yeah, I, I, I was watching a little bit of him uh, before we jumped on here. And I don't think he gets it enough, man. He doesn't get enough opportunities. Like there was like three or four games in a row where he only had two touches. Like give yeah. this guy a chance. Yeah, if they, I, I laugh because I think that I would not be shocked if Madison's the type of guy that wherever he winds up, I would not be shocked where he goes. Like if if the if the Eagles picked him and decided, the Eagles or Cowboys decided, you know what, we're gonna replace Sanders or Zeke with him and then Ooh. leave our and then use Pollard with Madison and have more of an have an equitable split like they did with with Zeke and Pollard wouldn't shock me in the least with what Madison can do. If they took Madison and he wound up as part of a tandem with the Raiders and they, and they let Josh Jacobs go, but they were saying Zamir White's our future and we're willing to let them battle it out. And for some reason, Zamir White were able to win that out. I don't think he would, but if no. they, but if they if they thought that and Madison was part of that, I could see that. Or if Madison wound up being the the secondary guy to um, Raheem Mostert and and they just decided to go with that. I mean, wherever you put him and they whether he's gonna be the lead guy, the guy to compete to be the lead guy, or they want him to be a good backup who can come in and be kind of a, a high-end committee guy that I, I wouldn't be shocked by by that because of his skills. He is a a slick runner. He's always been good at being able to make people miss, set up blocks, catch the ball. He's a, like you said, do everything guy. So of those six backs, who do you think has just the lowest floor in terms of, you know, they come in, they get signed, People are like, ooh, you know, we like that, or this is how he could be sneaky good. You know, the whole, um, you know, he's better than what we think, but then next thing you know, he's persona non grata. Just like by the end of this, you know, this time next year, no one's talking about him because he's just disappeared into the woodwork. And, you know, either he's going to get cut or just is sitting on the back of the depth chart. And we're thinking he may not even see much playing time without an injury. And he's just anonymous again. Oh, I hate doing that. Um, <laughs> but no, nah, man, I, I think it's Damian Harris. I think he's the guy that they're going to kind of forget about. I mean, we already kind of forgot about him. Like, yeah, he was good in 2021. But like once Stevenson really kind of got going, it was, okay, let's really give this guy a chance. And Damian Harris, Harris he really had to just make an explosive play in order to get back on the map. Um, so, you know, I don't think he is, you know, a guy that's going to be, you know, that's going to kind of jump out of his cleats anymore. Um, I don't know. I just don't see him getting, like, being much better than what he already was. I get that. I think that makes total sense. And I think he's kind of the middle of the pack in terms of the skill set of those six for me, even if you have him lower. I'm, I'm more middle of the pack on him. But, but the guys who from a standpoint of maybe not so much from a skill standpoint, but from a perception standpoint, maybe that the league may perceive. I think the Ernest Johnson is still going to be perceived as a backup. 
Um, and I think Devin Singletary is going to have a lower profile than than people expect, mainly because th the Bills were trying to get rid of him. And the fact that yeah. Zach Moss, Zach Moss was seen as the persona non grata in that backfield to begin the year. They, you know, they drafted Cook. Um, Duke Johnson was still kind of hanging around, though Duke was like, doing kickoff coverage in the preseason. When when you have Duke Johnson um, covering <laughs> on kickoffs, you know that dude's trying to get a contract and make the team. But Singletary, to me, um, the fact that Zach Moss made that team because he played well enough versus what they had and that they yeah. ended up getting to trade him away. Um, I, I think that Singletary is the type of guy that he's not fast, he's not big, He's not especially explosive. Um, he's he's that rare player who outplays his physical gifts in every way in terms of decision-making and short area quickness. Those are about his two best skills. Uh, you know, contact balance, people say he has great contact balance. And I think he has good contact balance for his skill set. But he is an overachiever in in every respect, I would not be surprised if teams are like, yeah, we see him as a backup in the league who can give us something, but we're not, you know, we're not going overboard to sign this guy. I just don't yeah. know where, I don't know a team that would take him, to be honest with you, as their lead back. So I'm interested to see who who that will be if they do. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't really bust out a lot of like, you know, 10 plus yard plays. He like you said, he's not super like uh, like the long distance uh, like outrunning anybody, any safeties, especially if they get a good angle on him. Um, he's he's you know he's not uh, taking guys uh, you know and but they're not bouncing off of him. Um, he's kind of like taking his leg back and kind of like gaining an extra few yards uh, if they're able to get their hands on his shoelaces. Um, but otherwise, yeah, he's. He's not, you know, spectacular. I do think he would he would be, like, if if the Eagles were to keep Miles Sanders um, and they needed a guy um, similar to him in case anything happened or anything like that, I think Devin Singletary would be, you know, a good uh, a good counter to uh, to Miles. Cool. You know, but yeah, he would be a backup for sure. So yeah, that that it was kind of tough between Damian Harris and Singletary. Um, but yeah, my pick was Damian. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the saints a little bit because, um, yesterday on Twitter, there's a, there's a guy followed by the name of Noah Hills who does, um, draft work as a draft neck and draft writer. And he was looking at Jameer Gibbs, the back out of Alabama, formerly with Georgia tech, who is a, you know, a scat back type who was kind of their, the lead back for Alabama this year. He can catch well out of the backfield. He has some big playability for sure. Um, and one of the, the comps you're going to hear from big draft media or national draft media to, to Gibbs has been Alvin Kamara. And Noah Hills did a really nice job of um, saying, I'm watching Alvin Kamara. And Basically, I'm I'm paraphrasing what he said, and I'm paraphrasing it in a way you'd say it in a bar, not the way he said it on Twitter, which was, how in the hell are you going to compare um, Jameer Gibbs with Alvin Kamara? This is a joke. Because, you know, I'm watching out. He says, I'm watching Alvin Kamara, and 
this guy's just different. You know, Alvin Kamara, in terms of contact balance, is one of the most insanely gifted runners in the league. There, he's like a he's like a Zen master of contact balance, or just balance in general and body movement. And Jameer Gibbs is a good college prospect. He is not Alvin Kamara. Just let you know. I'm, I just want to make that known. Like, if you're interested in Jamar Gibbs, I'll be talking a lot more about him. But he's more in that DeAndre Swift, Justin Jackson range of players, um, which is lower than what I think people are expecting of him. Um, but that said, we know Alvin Kamara has been dealing with that battery charge, um, and there were some, his court cases had been delayed till after the season. So if this ends up not going his way legally, you know, he's probably going to serve some sort of suspension next year if that if that doesn't work out. They also, you know, Mark Ingram's old. They lost Latavius Murray. They tried Jordan Howard this year. They tried David Johnson this year as kind of a reserve. And those guys probably won't get resigned if they do. They're probably not going to be considered um pivotal players on that depth chart. So who do you think the Saints get to coexist with Alvin Kamara if they don't draft a back or if they draft one just lower and say, you know, we want to fortify this depth chart. Who's someone that can come in, work with Kamara or be the guy if Kamara misses time due to suspension? So two guys that we had already mentioned, um, my first choice would be Jeff Wilson. Um, that was that was the guy who you know I had down um, to to be able to kind of or finally get his chance uh, to really you know take take the reins uh, you know if Alvin uh, isn't going to be there next year. Uh, and my second pick would be Madison, just because he doesn't like he only got seventy touches. Um, you know his his miles are are semi low. Uh, so I think that you know he would be able to take a lot of that, uh, a lot of those touches. Um, but those two guys, I think, uh, would would pair well, uh, you know, or they would be able to kind of like take over, um, you know, if Kamara wasn't able to uh, to to be there. So Jeff Wilson, he is more of the zone scheme runner, and that's what the Saints run. Um, so I think he he would fit schematically. Um, I think that would be good. Uh, so Jeff Wilson would definitely be uh, my pick. I, I, I just I, I don't see Miami keeping both of those guys. Yeah. So I think Jeff Wilson it has to go somewhere where he can really get a chance. I like that idea, and I think that makes total sense. A back who we have there are two backs we haven't talked about. One of them I'm going to talk about one of them later, but the one who might come to mind, who might be a low cost option, who could maybe fulfill that role and finally get his chance now that he's healthy is Donta Foreman um, mm -hmm. in the sense that he's played pretty well with the Saints. They've seen him enough in their division. He can catch. He was a dynamic back at Texas before the Achilles injury. Um, and he's played well enough in a Carolina organization that really hasn't been a, a great unit up front um, and yeah. hasn't had quarterback play. So he might be a low-cost option, but I agree with you on Wilson. I think of the guys that we've talked about a lot, Wilson is certainly high on that list. I appreciate where you, why you have him there, listed from that, from there. So 
What about Josh Jacobs? We've talked about him a little bit off and on. Do you think the Raiders re-sign him even though they they said no to that contract? I think they were hoping that Zamir White was going to be the guy for them. And, <laughs> you know, and I think that we, that collectively as a group of football writers, a lot of us jumped the gun in August um, in the Hall of Fame game because of the fact that they, that Josh McDaniels was like, let's see what we have in our backs and we're going to just kind of use them in a way that the media couldn't predict as well as they thought they could. And it turned out that Jacobs was the guy this year for the get. team in the NFL. That's what they get. That's right. <laughs> they, they, they deserve that, man. Because it's like, who are you to come in and just say, oh, I'm not going to keep anybody that Gruden uh, you know, picked. I'm, I'm going to automatically decline any other option, options. And you haven't even like coached a snap yet of this teams, or you know, at, at least as as the main guy. So why not see how you know see how he fits, or at least keep it under consideration, or say, oh, we'll wait till after the season. And it's just like no, uh, you know, we're just gonna uh, decline those options. So. You know, Josh Jacobs basically had to pay for or play for his pay. Um, yeah. And they're going to end up franchising tag, tagging at him, I think. Yeah. Um, because he's the he's playing like the best running back in the NFL. You know, his stop and go. His vision is just like out of control. Um, you know, and obviously he's number one in yards. So I think that uh, they're most likely going to keep him because I do think like despite you know, how they ended their season. Um, I think that they will kind of get it together more or less next season um, because this season just seemed like it was kind of like a wash, like, okay, we're going to get the best wide receiver in the NFL and that's just not going to magically uh, be, you know, the, the you know, what, what pulls it all together. It's a football team. It takes the team, you know, to kind of really understand – or to kind of gain that cohesiveness. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it will take another year or it, it took that year, you know, 2022 for them to kind of get it together. Um, so I think that they'll want to keep him. Um, it's really about the, what they do at the quarterback position. I think that's going to be uh, one of the main um, like stipulations on whether or not they keep Josh Jacobs, because imagine if they go after Tom Brady, right mm -hmm. i think that would be crazy right and if that's the case you know then tom brady will probably have to say who he wants in the backfield and hey he likes those big back type of guys those those backs who you know give a lot of effort um you know but you know you won't necessarily need to spend all that money to get him so you know maybe they'll franchise tag him um but i think it really depends on what they do at the quarterback position uh first yeah, I think Josh Jacobs would uh, a nice consolation for him is if he got franchise tag. The nice consolation would be Tom Brady being signed because I think what happened yeah. there is that a lot of us thought that Derek Carr was going to be the um, a good fit for for Josh McDaniel's system. He was a good play action quarterback. The more pre snap information you can feed him before, um, you, you know before the play begins the better off he seemed to be statistically also on film you could see a lot of that but having to make that jump 
to the the McDaniel scheme, which a lot of it was going from a West Coast system to an Erhard Perkins type of scheme, tripped him up some, I think. And then you throw in the injuries. You know, you lose Hunter Renfro for a period of time. You lost Waller for a big period of time. Um, that created some, you know, that those were issues on top of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that put him back. But to be able to have Brady would be an awesome fit. Um, I agree with you that there was a bit of hubris there with McDaniels. And there's a history of McDaniels having that kind of hubris. I mean, this is... I've told this story a lot on this podcast, but um, Ted Sundquist, the former GM of the Broncos, when Brandon Thorne and I were on a show of his early on, when Brandon was like his producer for Ted Sundquist podcast way back in the day, and I was a guest on his show, Ted told the story about how when McDaniels came in to replace Mike Shanahan, the first thing he did, one of the first things he did was have a conference call with... um, with Sunquist, with um, Jay Cutler and Jay Cutler's agent, and Cutler was a Pro Bowl player that year. It was the second year. The Broncos as an organization knew that Cutler was not a fully developed quarterback. They knew that, and they had a plan for him, but he had a very successful second year. And he was somebody Mike Shanahan agreed to pick when Matt Leiner wasn't on the board. That was who he wanted was Matt Leiner, but he had he had done enough of his due diligence to agree with Ted Sundquist that they would take Cutler and that he needed more development time, but they were good with him. And he played well enough that for first couple of years, second year he's in the Pro Bowl. That season, the summer of that next season, McDaniels comes in. First thing that happens, they have the phone call with Cutler and his agent there, Sundquist in the room, and McDaniel just reads Cutler the riot act cussing him out, telling him that he, how bad he is, why he sucks, how what he sucks at, what is, you know, how much work he's going to need, the whole like I'm the man that's coming in here and you better do what I'm telling you because if you want to be any good, you've got a lot to do. And Jay Cutler, they get off the phone call and Ted Sundquist tells us that he saw Cutler just look at his agent and he looked at everybody in the room and said, get me out of here. I do not want to play here. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that was Josh McDaniels, if you ask me, was the um, catalyst for ruining Jay Cutler. Because Jay, <laughs> at that point, Jay Cutler you know, was on a team that knew where he was, knew what they needed to do to get him there, and then now they're looking for a trade partner and they had to sell the bears were sold on the idea that cutler was a complete quarterback who was ready who was developed that they didn't need to develop and so mike martz thought he was getting a guy and the guy whoever they had before it was getting a guy who was a finished product and the team knew the broncos knew they weren't giving away a finished product And Cutler ran through a number of offensive coordinators. And by the time, like, Martz got there, and by the time, you know, the third or fourth coordinator was there, he was like, he saw the league as a business. And the business that it was was grinding and spitting people out. And I think that he was disillusioned by that point. So then we started seeing, we started seeing the memes of Jay Cutler smoking 
and yelling back at his offensive coordinator yeah. and, and all of that, I think that was basically a young player ruined. Um, and you can thank Josh McDaniels for his role in that. And so I don't, I'm not surprised yeah. that even a calmer, nicer Josh McDaniels, the one who maybe, you know, had already used two of his get out of jail free cards. Not many have two, but the fact that Tom Brady helped him have two, Bill Belichick to help mm -hmm. him have two, you know, to say, oh, I'm going to coach a team and, oh, no, just kidding. I'm not, you know, uh, you, you know, mm -hmm. to do that and to pull the, the routine with a guy like Cutler, I'm not surprised that he would go in and just say, yeah, we're not yeah, resigning nope. any of these guys. Nope. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. It, yeah. It gives some insight on, you know, really the type of guy he is. And sometimes, you know, people, you know, mature, but their personalities are generally the same. Yeah. So it just really showed you right there that, you know, his type of personality, he's a, you know, he's a me guy. I'm going to do it my way, yeah. you know, no matter, no matter how much these players can give you or provide you um, with, you know, any type of success. It's just like, you know, you're just going to write them off just because they had anything to do with the last regime. It's like, you know, it's not fair. Yeah. Or he's a bit of a hard ass and that he likes yeah. being a hard ass. I mean, listen, I remember reading stories about Vince Lombardi and apparently when he was with the New York giants, he was, um, he kind of had a Josh McDaniels attitude. He, he wanted every, he was young. He was insecure. He wanted everyone to know that he was the smartest coach in the room and the smartest mm -hmm. guy in the room. And the, yeah. and apparently on the road, the veteran Giants players had to pull him aside and say, listen, man, we like you. We know you're smart mm -hmm. at what you do, but you need to calm the fuck down. Yeah, like, relaxed. Yeah, like you're not you're not making friends here. No one's going to want to play for you. And you're 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 not going to have a long career the way you're behaving. Like chill out, like be a little more Tom Landry, your your yeah. assistant on the other <laughs> side of the ball, and a little less, you know, yell at everyone and try and make fools of people, you know. Well, you know, you know who else is a hard ass though? Tom Brady. Yeah. And uh, you know, he just got divorced. He's trying to restart. You know, I mean, he he obviously still has the skill set, um, yeah. and I think. Um, you know, he he got the he 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 was in the country club the last few years. You know, he was in yeah. uh, he was in Florida. Now maybe he wants to to, to go back to the, the state of the team that you know he originally liked, San Fran. But obviously he's not gonna. Sh Shanahan doesn't want him, so yeah. Um, you know, it's just uh, you know, maybe he does team back up, uh, with his old coach. I think it'd be a great fit because again, you know what I told about McDaniel's. You're right. It's like guys do mature. And doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad guy. He just made a bad mistake with a player. And who's to say he made a bad mistake? Maybe he looked at Cutler and felt like that wasn't his guy. Now, the way he went about doing it might not be what you would want to have happen. May not be the kinder, gentler um, version of what Motivation we do. In, yeah, of the yeah. way we do things in our in our culture these days. It's a it's definitely you know you wouldn't want that in your workplace. But, you know, athletic and performance endeavors sometimes result in having high-intensity personalities who don't have time for BS and figure if you can't deal with the heat of me yelling at you, 
then you're in the wrong profession just in the way that there's a terrific boxer. I don't know if you know who she is, but she's one of the best boxers in in history by the name of Ann Wolf. And Ann mm-hmm. Wolf is a has won championships in three title classes and she she basically grew up on the streets. She was abused, she was homeless, she had two kids by the time and homeless by the time she took up boxing um in the like the in louisiana poverty and basically became this fearsome boxer who just knocked people out who was unbelievable and she's kind she trains guys now um and she's a she's a heck of a box boxing coach as well but like she's someone who lived a life that you know you're gonna box still today if you're gonna box most people who box don't really have much to to live for and are trying to make some money and that's you know i mean that's always been that way with boxing and you've Mm -hmm. got to be physically and mentally tough to to do that sport but and i think that this ties back to what we're looking at with a brady who was a boxer in, in college. Um, he What? Yes. Brady. I did not know Brady that. Brady boxed for the University for Michigan. He was he was on what? their boxing team. And if you look at his if you look at his pocket wow. skills, you notice that he has yeah, great footwork. And that's it. And again, great boxers wow. may not be unbelievably mobile, but they know how to infight. They know how to move in tight spaces. Tyson Fury, look at that guy. He's gigantic. He's not athletic whatsoever. That's that's right. That's right. And Brady has, Brady moves like a boxer, like a veteran boxer. But yeah, with with Brady, I mean, uh, you know, he was great in that respect. He was a boxer. So you think about his attitude and also of where he came from and what he had going on, you can totally see how he doesn't mind yelling at people. He doesn't mind getting yelled at. And to him, that's just part of the deal. And so he and McDaniels are a good fit that way. They're combative. Yeah. The only thing, like, so there's there's basically two, ta- two types of athletes on a team. And it's really two types of personality traits. You know, people that need to be that need to be yelled at on the basketball court, like, or, or on the athletic field, like, what the hell are you doing? You messed up, I swear to God, you do that again, and I'm going to have your head. And that really, you know, it triggers some players where it's like, damn, I really need to get on it. Other players, they cannot play under those circumstances. Yeah. But they're not meant to be the best ever. They're not meant to. They don't have that Kobe mentality. They need to go, listen, I know you messed up, but you know what? You're going to go back out there. You're going to show us what you truly have. And, like, they need that reassurance. And But sometimes, like, you can have a coach that can't do both you know sometimes like on a football team you're not going to have all the best players you're not going to have you know 22 of the best football players out there with that kobe not tom brady mindset you know so you have to be able to adjust and you have to be able to coach those two type of players now if you have a guy like tom brandy or team then it's like a little bit different because the stakes are clearly raised and you know you have to get those guys that have that mentality yeah um you know, and that's maybe what uh, McDaniel's looks for as well. Like, hey, I'm gonna get the player that has that mentality. 
Um, maybe he doesn't see that in jo- Josh Jacobs. Maybe that isn't the type of a, you know, um, yelling or that's not how he bounces back. Maybe if he messes up or something like that, we're not really sure. Um, it just seems like that's McDaniel's personality to just go, this, I'm going to create my own team and I'm going to scratch you no matter how good you play. So I guess we'll find out, but yeah, that's interesting. I, I never knew uh, what you, you know, what you just explained about Tom Brady being a boxer. I'm still not over that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's funny it's cool. because if there's a, if there's a, if there's a movie that's very worthwhile to watch that explores the poetic truth. I, you know, there's literal truth and then there's poetic truth. The idea that, that it may not be literally true, but you, you, it rings true. There's a res, it resonates. The poetic truth that we just described of that situation when it comes to performers and their intensity and their willingness to or to either thrive in abuse or deal with abusive situations or um, confrontational. It doesn't even have to be abusive. It could be confrontational situations um, that other people would feel like is borderline abuse. The movie Whiplash with Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons is a terrific version of the poetic truth. And it actually, if you haven't seen it, it's a movie that came out maybe, I think, 10 years ago. Um, It's about jazz musicians and a kid at a music school in New York who's a drummer. And J.K. Simmons is supposedly this great teacher. And, um, you know... Look, I went to music school. I was, you know, studying to be a jazz musician. I'm still, you know, working on that right now in my off time and playing. But but I've known enough musicians and have been in environments and schools where it was a competitive school environment. And I can tell you, Whiplash is definitely not a jazz movie. So if you watch it and go, this is what jazz musicians are like or this is what education is like in a, in a music school the answer is it's a poetic truth that's been amped up way more than it needed to be and it's not really a movie about those things but what it is about is about ambition and the line that the ambitious will be willing to cross to be great at something as well as about the psychological power that people who do coaching or leadership can have and how fucked up it can become or can be imposed in a fucked up way. And sometimes they even acknowledge that what they're doing is imposed in that way, but they believe it can get the best out of an individual. Um, Even though if that's being told through a a drummer and this teacher and the, the contentious combative nature and psychological warfare that's going on, you can see if after what we've described, go watch that movie and you'll see a little bit of how maybe Tom Brady is an older, accomplished, mature version of Miles Teller, the drummer in this, and that Josh McDaniels is kind of the younger, um, you know, less abusive version of J.K. Mm-hmm. Simmons, um, you, you know, as the coach in this scenario. Uh, in uh, in two weeks, man, I'm gonna come back and uh and let you know if uh, if that comparison is spot on because okay. I'm definitely gonna watch that. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's definitely a good movie. It's always been a good movie. But like, I laugh because I've had a lot of people ask me, "Is that? Do you think that's true?" To you were in this thing, and I'm like, no. I mean, like, if it's not true to form, but it's you know, it's 
it's made for the silver screen but there's some poetic truths to it that are worthwhile um let's end this this way there's some backs that we didn't mention you know there's guys who like we didn't talk much about barkley at all um mm -hmm. so i guess the first part can be do you think he winds up in new york um the second part is of guys like Samaj P. Ryan, um, Mike Boone, Daryl Williams, Dontrell Hilliard. Um, I'm trying to think there was somebody else on this list who I really wanted to to mention here that Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny. Rashad yes. Penny. We have not talked about Rashad Penny for the entire hour. These are guys that especially Penny, Barkley, I think to an extent P. Ryan, um, Foreman to an extent, these are guys who can have an impact for a team. Maybe even if they can keep it all together, be Pro Bowl players in, in Barkley and Penny's case. I mean, Penny was, Penny was seen coming out. There was Chubb, Ronald Jones, um, Penny, Barkley, um, you know, Jamal, um, Justin Jackson. There were some good backs. Sony Michelle. They were Damian oh, Williams. Or Damian Harris, I think. I think they were all part of that. Not Harris. But all of them, but Harris were all part of one class that many thought could wind up being every bit as good as the class that had Williams and McCaffrey and Henry and Aaron Jones and, you know, and Leonard Fournette. That was a great class of James Conner, great class of backs. You know, they thought that one might be up there and it still might have a chance to, to really recoup on some of that value. But who on that list that I, I mentioned or anybody else that you're just like, we need to give them at least some due diligence to say, wow, they could be a value and I'd like to see this player somewhere. Even if you just mentioned one of them. Um, so I think there's a guy that we haven't uh, really mentioned yet, um, Amir Abdullah. Uh, I think he is. I think he's going to be a free agent as well. Um, and uh, you know he's kind of bounced around between you know the Vikings and he was on the Panthers and obviously the the Lions uh, when they when they were terrible. So um, you know I think he's a guy that you know kind of deserves to get another chance. Um, Matt Breida, what are they going to do with him, you know, with Saquon Barkley? Uh, I, I don't, you know, we're not really sure about that either. Um, and, uh, there's a guy, uh, Daryl Henderson. So the Jaguars signed him and then just released him. Yeah. And I do not know why. Like yeah. he didn't get a single touch, nothing. He just, I don't know. Maybe he didn't fit in, maybe he didn't fit in the system. Maybe he didn't, couldn't catch on to the playbook. So, you know, he couldn't even get through practice. I'm not really sure, but, um, you know, I would like to figure out, you know, maybe, you know, where he goes. I think that would be interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, all in all, I, I really can't believe we didn't mention Rashad Penny. Um, because didn't he just sign a one-year deal uh, with Seattle? So, like, I don't know, because he just signed last year, I, for some reason he just, like, didn't come up on many undrafted free agent lists. I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but yeah, I think, um, I'm not really sure what's going to happen with him, but, um, I think, uh, one guy who we only mentioned a couple times, but I think 
uh, should get some more touches depending on where he goes is Boston Scott. Yeah. Um, You know, I really like him. Me too. He was pretty good in the red zone. Um, He was able to kind of take over, you know, when Miles wasn't able to to do what he was able to do. So I think he kind of deserves another shot too. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to go with with Boston Scott Um, and Perrine too from the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. He was he was a he's kind of a guy that we didn't really get a chance to mention either. He, epic beard that guy has. Yeah, I laugh because these are these you've mentioned a bunch of players outside of um, Penny who have always been favorites of mine as like late round prospects or mid or or even early guys who weren't in that top tier like Piran. Like um, I loved Boston Scott coming out. I was a big Abdullah fan. Um, you know, I thought all these guys had a chance to be good and it, and some of them made good on their lower draft capital. Some of them didn't make good on their early opportunities to, to be the guy like P Ryan and Abdullah, but have, have carved out value over time. And P Ryan to me is fascinating because he, he's, he's got, I call it inevitable speed. He doesn't really have speed. But he inevitably is going to get there because of his power. He he can lift a gym, and he is he just runs <laughs> through people, and he's got a little better burst than you would expect. Um, Penny to me is the guy that I guess he doesn't get mentioned because I think all of us in the who watch the games, you know how good he can be in the right fit, but you collectively hold your breath for him to be able to stay healthy. So any team that signs him, you almost feel like that team's going to get taken by by that, you know, and you're just praying that that they've there that it's it's a gamble, and you're praying that they're right on the gamble with him staying healthy. And I think that's the biggest issue is that I think he's the guy that every every rational fan will probably if they see their team sign Rashad Penny will go will groan will be like yeah yeah, they'll be like i hope they're right but lord why did why did we have to get stuck with him because now i've got to root for this guy and get all excited when i see him break big plays and then banged up you know and out for six weeks um one guy though i i want to mention because i actually wrote an article on him uh right as the season was starting um Kenyon Drake yeah he is he's gonna be a free agent this season and I really like what he does in RPO system um I think I think he can do a little bit of everything uh he can catch out of the backfield he can run in between the tackles uh he's slippery you know when when hitting the holes um you know he he can kind of change speeds he does that little high step thing um and I think he I think he's gotten like a thousand all-purpose yards over the last two years, uh, so he he does he does spit out production. I think like with obviously with the Raiders, it was really up in the air after they got Zamir White, and that's why they didn't even want to resign Josh Jacobs. And they're like, okay, well we have to choose, and you know Drake's definitely out of here. Um, he just he's a guy that kind of didn't really get a lot of like a ton of chances either, so. I think he, uh, I think he would be a solid backup somewhere. I love it. I'm, I, I'll, I'll give you a wild take. I, I think Boston Scott 
if Boston Scott were on the Detroit Lions and DeAndre Swift weren't there, um, it wouldn't matter that much. That's basically how I, I, I think that DeAndre Swift has more high-end speed, but it takes him a while to get to that runway of speed to be able to, to, to reach it. So you see occasional big gains from Swift, but they're usually in wide open field where defenses over-pursued at the line of scrimmage in the box and it was stacked and he gets out of there. But I think Scott can catch. I think he's a more powerful runner. I think he's a smarter runner than DeAndre Swift. And if there were a back, I'd love to, you know, fantasy in fantasy land, I would love to see, I'd love to see Boston Scott wind up in Detroit, DeAndre Swift, and then just see a situation where we go, DeAndre who, from the standpoint of what's, Scott can do, but I'd like to see Scott on a team that actually just appreciates him and doesn't look at him and go, we're afraid that he's not going to hold up after six to eight carries in a game because he's a little dude, but he's strong. Yeah, He's a small, he's a short, but big back. And I think I would like to see him get that opportunity, but I don't know if teams are going to agree with the idea of taking that risk um, on a short, but big back. So... But listen, you know, we appreciate you taking the risk on listening to us each week um, here at the RSP and the RSP cast. You can find Lori's great work at TD Wire. You can find me at MattWaldmanRSP.com. The RSP is available for preset for pre-order right now at MattWaldman.com. You can get it for $21.95. You're going to have at least 150 prospects at the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Um positions that I study every year since 2006 um, in PDF format and you get a pre-draft and post-draft with it. You get a newsletter um, that comes out from June through December and of course I do offer projections for fantasy players and that begins in June and you get updates on the projections and complete dynasty rankings. You can get that at mattwaltman.com for $24.95. You can pre-order that as well, mattwaltman.com. And a portion of those proceeds um, every year goes to Darkness to Light, an organization devoted to protecting children from sexual abuse um, through training programs and awareness programs um, on how to um, prevent that from happening, recognizing grooming behaviors of individuals who perpetrate these crimes as well as how to handle it when it is inevitably reported um, because it is a rampant problem in the United States. It's a taboo issue that people don't like to talk about. Um, obviously, it's an awkward issue, um, but it's one of those things that is um, it's very helpful for us to get training and learn about it. You can donate just separately at d2l.org, but the RSP has given over $55,000 since 2012 to d2l.org um you know on behalf of you know those of you who have purchased the product so thanks again and you can find that at mountwellman.com and we'll see you in a couple of weeks